This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com above. I've heard people for years in ministry say, I'm humbled. I'm so privileged and I'm humbled and I'm thankful. And a lot of those, not necessarily cliches, because I think many times it's very, very genuine, but those words don't really do enough for what this podcast has done for the last three or four months. Uh, the feedback, the amount of folks that have tuned into this, the emails, some texts, the tweets that have come back at me. And from the very beginning, James Osborne, who you heard in episode seven, you're going to hear in episode eight, second part of my story. You know, he and I, from the very beginning, were like-minded. This was not going to be about us. This was going to be about our faith journeys. It was going to be about our relationship with the Lord. And it was going to be a really unique opportunity to dig into faith in sports. And I had an absolute blast sharing with all of you my experience of coming into relationship with the Lord, what my life looked like all the way through college, but there's a whole lot more of the story to tell. And it's an ongoing story, and by no means am I a finished product. But episode seven was my coming to faith. It was my walk through high school and into college. And you'll hear the second part of my journey, my faith journey into professional football and the mentors, and the accountability, and the relationships that I built, and the relationships that have really shaped my life and continue to shape my life. And a big part of that is also the relationship with Compassion International, which I can't wait to dig into further as well. As we transition here to your NFL career, drafted in the third round by the Seattle Seahawks, eventually find yourself in Indianapolis. Can you tell me just a little bit more about what it's like you're going from high school, stud, college, stud, NFL, what's your career like? Yeah, I go from college, I go from Scott Sears to Mike Gunn to some great Christian men. I go to the Seattle Seahawks in the third round. I go to the Seattle Seahawks and I go to a Mike Holmgren who pronounced his faith publicly and had been a guy that had done some work with Athletes in Action and FCA and I go to a team that has John Kidna on it and a team that has little Peter, Todd Peterson. We called him little Peter because he was absolutely little Peter. And he was the one that would confront and challenge and love in the most amazing ways. And I, and I go to that place and to that team with Carl Payne, the chaplain of that team that is so grounded in truth. I go to a team that's got a community here with Jim Zorin and Steve Largen and Ken Hutcherson and Norm Evans and on and on of so many incredible former players that make community here, that generational thing we're talking about. Dave Brown, the previous generations of Seahawks that really laid a faithful foundation here. That's the team I walk into and what a blessing. And I remember when I was drafted and all the excitement, all the fun with that. But my first experience with the Seahawks was great is I walk into the facility and it was after the draft and, and I'm walking in and doing my check-in and everything else. And I walk downstairs and there's Todd Peterson, the kicker, uh, who's about 5'9", and everything you think of a kicker. And then there's Grant Williams. And Grant was like 6'7", 330, grizzly bear, an enormous guy out of Mississippi. And those two are in there and Grant's like on an exercise bike. And Grant's got a real like southern accent from Mississippi. And Todd's there. And I knew Todd from different ministry and different stuff in the community when I was with the Huskies. I think I even did some stuff with Todd. So I walk in and and uh, Grant's on the bike and Todd's next to him and Grant's like, so this is him, huh, Todd? This is another one of your crazy Christian psychos, you know? 
and they had it all planned because Grant was so sold out for the Lord as well, right? But that was like an immediate in my face, like, oh, welcome to the NFL, like North Dallas 40, right? The old movie where they're like, put the cigarettes and the butts out on their knee and like, this is no longer college. This is like the NFL and Grant's like, I got one of those Christian psychos, huh? This is this little punk kid you told me about and and he couldn't hold it for more than a minute and he started to laugh and and uh, ultimately was so incredibly welcoming and such Grant and Todd and John and Carl and all those men in Bible study that I got to walk through those early years, those formative years again as a, as a professional and to be alongside of them. My professional football career did not work out on the field, but my um, professional career, not professional, my, my professional football career on the field didn't work out, but off of the field, it could not have been any better. It just could not relationship-wise, connection-wise, growth-wise been any better. And being drafted to the Seahawks was a huge, huge part of that. And the relationships, and the Bible studies, and the couple studies, and the dear friendship that John Kitna's wife, Jenny, has with my wife, Molly, decades later. Um, you know, I, I think one of the most more profound moments, and John didn't share this story on the episode that we did, the podcast that we did. He didn't share this story, but I get to. Um, because I got to see when he was demoted, and I got a chance in year two to start that they were going to give me this opportunity. That John's time, you know, with Holmgren, it, it was challenged in the Seahawks and everything else. So here was my chance, and then I get hurt, and John comes in and plays great. I get another chance, and uh, and before that second chance, we're getting on the plane, and I get a note, and John's like, "Oh, here you go," and he gives me this care package, and it's like a, from John's wife, Jenny. Like, hey, you know, I just want you to know how much, you know, we care about you and uh, we love you and we're rooting for you. And I'm sitting there like on the plane crying, like, man, I'm going to play. Here her husband and his job in some ways I'm getting a chance to do. He's not getting a chance to do because of me, because I was drafted. They need to see if I can play or not. And, and uh, I was getting my opportunity. And here is John and Jenny being an unbelievable testimony of that faith and what it looks like. And I remember looking at John, rooming with John and being on the road with him and him being the most unbelievable encourager. Like, no, man, this is your chance. Go run with it. He wanted me to have success. He wanted me to run with it. And ultimately I get hurt again, <laughs> which was my story. He comes in, he plays great. The doors in Cincinnati open and Detroit open and Dallas open. And, and because he was faithful, right? Because he was faithful in success. He was faithful in failure. He was faithful through it all. And he got to make an impact for an incredible amount of time and certainly imprints on my life in major, major ways. It seems like leadership is something that marks a lot of the stops in your journey, Mm -hmm. that you found yourself in leadership positions from an early age. And your faith plays a big role in that, right? Can you talk a little bit about that and how you found yourself being a leader despite by you know the time your career ended, mm-hmm. you weren't the, the best player no. on your team anymore. No, and not even close to the best player. Right? Not even, I mean, just a backup, and then ultimately a six-year career. That when you're a third-round pick, you know you like you would hope that uh, opportunity would come. You take advantage of it, and you run with it, and, it, and it really didn't. And I think I started four games in the NFL. I lost all four of those games in the NFL. That was it. And then ultimately, I go from Seattle to Indianapolis to Peyton Manning to Tony Dungy. And oh, by the way. That, that thread again of just having men in my life, just incredible relationship. And it's Carl Payne, the chaplain in Seattle, and John and crew and Todd Peterson to Indianapolis, where it's Tony Dungy, who's living this out, whose perception and reality are exactly the same. And Eric Simpson, the chaplain there, who's an unbelievably servant-hearted guy. 
and I'm going to get to him and, and my favorite NFL story ever. And maybe this leadership, you know, question is a part of it. But James, it wasn't always easy. And in fact, you're number two. And this is a story that I don't even know if there's 10 people that really know it. There's certainly not more, many more than 10 that know that while I was in Indy in that second year, it was really hard to the point in training camp where I went to Tony Dungeon and said, man, I don't know about this. So I played three years in Seattle, my first year in Indy, and this was in my second year, year five of my NFL uh, kind of career, that during training camp, I said to Tony, I, I just don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if this is what I'm called to do. There's not a lot of joy. I'm certainly not loving it anymore. I, I need to get away. And, uh, and I packed up my bags in the middle of the night. I took a plane ride from, uh, drove from Terre Haute to Indianapolis and flew back to Seattle. This is right in the middle of training camp <laughs> that in this day and age, people would have probably asked questions again back then. It wasn't covered that closely. And on that plane ride, I'm reading, you know, the Bible and I'm crying and I'm sure the people around me on the plane are like, what is wrong with this guy? Did someone just die in his life? Right? So everyone's looking at me kind of funny and yet I'm in my own world. I get home and my wife at that point knew I was going through a hard time and Molly was totally supportive and whatever, you know, door was going to open or close or what I was going to do next. And, and again, I had to spend time and ground myself with Carl Payne, with Chuck Snyder, um, with Scott Sears, uh, with Mike Gunn, with these men that had built into my life and really kind of get to the bottom of what in the heck and what in the world is going on. And some of it was not having any fun playing football. Some of it was, you're right, always having some some sort of success or some opportunity to play or you know some joy in that. And there's really none of it because Peyton was the best player and arguably one of the greats to ever play. And I was just diminished to the point where I was hardly even talked to there, uh, especially in the QB room and on the offensive side of the ball. And it was miserable. And it was a really tough kind of low moment, certainly professionally. And uh, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to kind of quit? Am I going to walk away from this? And I, and I think ultimately, again, some of the great counsel from a Carl Payne and some of the men in my life at that moment was have a little bigger and broader view here. Like I did when I was being recruited. Like this isn't just for this moment right now. This is going to impact things for years and years to come. That if you quit and you shut this door right now, that that will follow you that that will be part of your story, good, bad, or different. But if you're, you know, if, if that's what you would like to do, and I could not quit, I could not quit. And I got back on that plane and I went back to Indianapolis and thank God I did. Thank God I did. Because that year was an amazing year. An amazing year where 19 of the 53 guys on the team were coming to Friday Bible study. Where, yes, I was not a player and contributor on the field, but got a chance to off the field, connect with guys, to love on guys, to love on David Thornton, my uh, apartment mate there in Indianapolis um, to to get close to Eric Simpson, the chaplain, who you know, 15 years later, 10 years later, I still consider a dear friend and have relationship with. And I kind of quit and shut that door and just thought about me and not um, what was to come and what he had for me in a leadership position that had nothing to do with football. I would have missed out on all of that and thankfully went back and got to enjoy and really, I guess, reap a lot of those benefits. But there were a lot of tears and there was a lot of... Um, a lot of kind of pain and sorting that out and a lot of hurt and a lot of just trying to figure out, you know, what, what there was for me, what there ultimately was going to be for me. Can you 
you tell me a little bit about what it was like when you, your career was officially over and you have moved on? How did you get from there mm. to here where you have your own radio show you're working for ESPN? Can you tell me a little more about that period of time? Yeah. Let me just quickly say uh, and share kind of the one story about that season as well that I would love to kind of go into some depth and share. That year, that was year two in Indy with Eric Simpson, our chaplain, uh, really neat year. What a, what a great year. What a, just, a, just a neat group of men that I got to be around and experience. And that year we end up going to the playoffs. In fact, we go to the, all the way to the AFC championship game where big brother Damon is playing with the Patriots on the other side. But rewind two weeks before that and we get to the playoffs. And when I was in Seattle, I watched John Kidna almost single-handedly through unbelievable generosity take care of our chaplain with a new car. And I was like, man, that is amazing. We all chipped in like pennies. You just felt a real calling to do that. That was just John's unbelievable, gracious heart. And when we got to Indy, I felt a real ping, kind of speaking of leadership, where I couldn't do anything on the field, where there wasn't much joy playing the game anymore, where a lot of my love for football turned into kind of some fear and some trembling, unfortunately, with football. My love of leadership and teammates grew. And I felt a real ping to do what John did years before. And that was, man, we got something unique here. We got 19 guys coming to this doggone study. The least we can do is chip in a little and take care of Eric, who was driving like a 1983 burned out Nissan Altima that I didn't feel good driving in, even though we lived in the same town and he would drive me. And I said, you know what? Let's do that. If we all chip in a little, we can do something really cool. And uh, getting the opportunity to then, I think that was on a Tuesday of the second playoff game, calling guys and, hey, what do you think? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Coach, Coach Dungey, you know, a few of the other coaches contributing. You know, Coach Caldwell throwing in and all chipping in, right, and being like a money changer in the locker room the next day on that Wednesday to the point where, like, Peyton came over to me. He's like, bro, bro, is this a distraction? Like, we don't need money changers in the temple, you know. We, I, got a, I got a playoff <laughs> game to get ready for, and he was right. And I said, Peyton, I got you, man. I will take care of all this today. We'll get the checks, no distraction. I think this will be a really cool thing for the team. And we collected all the money, and two of my teammates went with me, and we went to the Toyota dealer right down the road. And we ended up picking out this uh, this Toyota Camry. And the guys really wanted the woofers and the tinted windows and the rims. We couldn't quite afford that. You know, we had enough money uh, to buy a really neat, nice new one uh, and take care of his insurance. And we do that on Thursday. So the car's bought. Man, it's going to be awesome. We have a Friday study before that playoff game in Kansas City. And, uh, and I had seen... Um, the mailman um, the day before, the guy that handled all the mail in the office. And and I said, I think his name was Wade. And I said to him, hey, uh, during study tomorrow, can you come in the room? I'll give you a set of keys. Can you bring these keys? Like put them in a box or something. He's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, he was a believer and an awesome guy. And he's like, oh, totally. I'll totally take care of it. So on that Friday after practice and walkthrough, I get to drive over, pick up the car, do all the paperwork. I drive it back. I walk into this room and there's 19... NFL dudes, right? A lot of names, you know, like Jeff Saturday, Peyton, all these guys are there. And I walk in this room and it was like looking at my kids at Christmas, right? The joy in their face, like my little guy, Titus or Macy, like when they wake up at Christmas and they see some gifts in their face, like, <gasps> and they're so excited, right? And I walk in, I'm like, we're good. I'm trying to play it cool. And we sit down. If Eric were on this podcast, and I know this because I've heard him say it, he thought he prepared the greatest message ever. And nobody was paying any attention. <laughs> nobody could pay any attention or any focus. And he even was like, I don't, I'm not connecting in any way. Like you guys, this is bad. Like you guys are totally not focused on anything. And it was because of what was to come. And, uh, 
mailman knocks on the door and he's like, Eric Simpson, I got a package for you. And Eric's like, no, you don't. Nope. Never had anything delivered here in 10 years. Don't have an office here. Don't have an address. Uh, wrong Eric Simpson, somebody else, someone in sales tickets. Nope. Uh, Eric Simpson, I don't, this is for you. And I got another package outside. He's like, no, I'm really sorry, but I don't get mail here. So that's really not for me. No, it really is. So finally takes the box and, and it's all addressed to him. And it's just awesome. A little FedEx box and the keys are in there and he opens it up and he kind of couldn't put it together. He's kind of like in a dazed and confused spot. Like I was against Arizona state. Like, I don't know what's happening here. And that's when Hunter the punter, Hunter Smith, came through because he had us all sign this card, like the love of giving. Of course, the punter did, right? We're like, I'm not signing it. Yes, just sign the card. So we all signed the card before the Bible study. And ultimately, then Hunter slides a card over to Eric and he opens it up and he puts kind of two and two together. And nobody said anything. And here's Eric, who's like 6'3, buck 50. He melts like the witch in the Wizard of Oz, right? He's nothing but a bag of bones on the ground. And he's crying and we pick him up. And honestly, I don't think a word was said. And we walk him out, right? Because the package outside was that car. And we walk outside and that car is sitting there. And it was nothing but 18 straight sets of hugs and tears. And, uh, and then ultimately... I got to ride with him, or I drove the car. I wasn't driving his thing over to the dealership. So he drove, he drove the burned-out beast over to the dealership, signs all the paperwork. I'm just humbled by it. It's nothing of my doing. It's the team's doing. It's really God's doing. I mean, he 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 worked all of this. So you ask about leadership. You know, to me, that's he was leading. He was leading this team. And, you know, thankfully, I didn't quit on it and had a chance to still be a part of it. And uh, And we get in the car. And there's two other little facets of this story I have to share. So we get in the car and we're driving and uh, he's like, hey man, open up my briefcase, right? And so I open up, pick up his briefcase. I'm in the passenger seat. I open it up. He's driving. He's like, look in there, look in that folder right there. What do you see? And it was nothing but a bunch of cars.com printout pages of cars. And he's now just sobbing and I'm just now sobbing. He's like, Kendra and I were on the computer this week because I want to drive to the playoff game from Indy to Kansas City. You guys are going to go on the road. I want to drive, and my car wouldn't make it. I knew that probably couldn't drive my car <laughs> in its state that it was. And he's sobbing, and now I'm just sobbing uncontrollably. And then we pull up, and yes, Kendra's sobbing. And it was just a total, unbelievable, wonderful, complete picture of what you ask about leadership to me that that's leader, like that that's God's leading, right? That's that's divine intervention. And if a pastor is going to try to write me after this podcast and tell me that God doesn't care about my teammates and that moment and that team and that ministry and that witness and that opportunity, I'll fight you now. I'll fight you tooth and nail now because that was uh, that was an incredible memory that I share every time out now. And then lastly, full circle, uh, the Husky women's basketball team, and my wife was a player, goes to the final four, and it's in Indianapolis two years ago. And we make the trek out there as a family, and I surprise Eric at church, and he's still running Eagle Church out there doing amazing things. And uh, we sit in on service. It was awesome. Hunter the punter is going to church there 10 years later. It's great. And after the service, I said to Eric, I said, hey, man, can you just tell me what happened to the Camry? You know, he's like, oh, <laughs> what did he call it? The silver bullet? He's like, oh, oh, the gold. Oh, man, what was the name of it? He's, so what happened to the Camry? Oh. Oh, the gold bullet, it's still out there. And we walk outside and sure enough, man, it's still out there. So that was in 2003. 
And then fast forward to 2015, six, that's 13 years, like 200,000 miles or whatever. It was right there. And it was right back to the tears and all of those memories of that moment of just, um, and honestly, that story is not about me. It really isn't. I can say that with total faithfulness, and I hope it comes across with total genuineness. That story was about his, God's leading, that group, that team, that year, that moment. And when Tony Dungy said after a Super Bowl, he was talking about on some radio show or TV show leadership, and he included my name, my name on the list of some of the other players. And my name had no part being on that list. None, none, nothing, nothing. I contributed nothing as a football player to that team on the field. Nothing, right? It was about um, the opportunity to kind of help lead off the field. All of those guys that poured into my life, and I love my wife for this because she's she reminds me, and we remind one another. That of all the people that have poured into our lives, my goodness gracious, from Scott to Mike Gunn, right, and on to, on to the professional with Carl Payne and the John Kittnes and the Chuck and Barb Snyders, who you heard Alvin Davis brag about, and they, they invested their lives in us, and Pro Athletes Outreach, and Norm Evans, and all the ministry there, and then to go to Indianapolis, and to have Eric Simpson, and to have Tony Dungy, and to have all of these people pour into your life, your job is to now just tip out just a little of what you can and pour out yours to others. That's what this podcast is about. Uh, that's why I love this venture. That's why I love faith and sports. And it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing compared to what those men and women have done in my life for me and my wife and our family and our generation and hopefully the next generation. Of all the people that have poured into me um, and invested in me that you want to give a little back. And ultimately, isn't that what you heard from Steve Largent? That ultimately through Steve Largent's journey, and through his life and through the chaos of his life and the brokenness of his life, it was men that poured into him. It was men that when he was in government and, and he's on the prayer council and the National Day of Prayer and that group that poured into him that impacted his life, as Steve Largent clearly, clearly told you in his story. When I became a Seahawk, working with uh, Norm Evans and Jim Zorn and Sherman Smith and Dave Brown and all these just really great, great guys and and great believers, and uh, that helped me a lot dealing with some of the resentment that I had in my life that I was still playing with. but it wasn't until I actually went to Congress and uh, started to meet with some guys back there. And and uh, we had a little uh, group that met together and uh, we, we kind of came together every Tuesday night and uh, that we were in session. And, and uh, one of the guys there, a guy named Marty Sherman, uh, he works with the National Prayer Breakfast and the fellowship. And I started talking about the resentment that I had towards my dad. And he said, you know, really, you, you, you've got to learn to let it go. Uh, you've got to learn to to forgive your dad and um, and and move forward. He said, because the person that's going to kill is you. you. You know, you you think that this animosity that you have uh, is aimed at your dad, but it's really affecting you and your ability to uh, connect with other people. And so that's what I did. And uh, is is I just took the time right then to just ask the Lord to forgive me for having the resentment, for uh, having that kind of resentment towards any individual, but especially my own dad. And really, that it was after that time that I, I began to rebuild my relationship with my dad. Where are you now, and 
where are you going in your faith and in your journey through sports? There's part of me that really desires ministry. There's really desires sports ministry to really desire youth ministry. How could I not through the chaplains and the youth ministry and the people that have impacted my life? How could I not want to do some of that? Yet the place that, that he has placed me is in a world where there is not a lot of that overt ministry, <laughs> where a lot of it is being real and real with the people that you work with. And boy, howdy, it's one of the things that I love about you as you live out your faith in this world as well. And your story of, of being in this business and sports radio and leaving it and coming back and ultimately knowing that um, you have work to do in this building and ultimately knowing that, man, I have relationship. Every single day with a co-host that looks at me, much like many of my teammates look at me and like, dude, is this real? (laughs) And I love Mike Salk to death, man. I love it. I love the conversations that we've had on the air. I love the conversations we have off the air. I love that he looks at me and is still trying to figure out what in the world makes this guy tick. I love that eight and a half years into our relationship, if he were sitting here, I think he would say, yeah, as crazy as he is for this Jesus guy, it's kind of a genuine deal. It's become a pretty genuine and pretty real deal in his life and that it affects his family and it affects his marriage and it affects his relationship and it's real and it's transparent in his life. Um, that's what that's what I think the world that I'm living in, that's why I'm doing these podcasts. And these podcasts have opened my eye, my, my eyes up to everything, you know, and the opportunity to just connect with so many. And to sit in a supermarket the other day in the checkout line, I'm feeling this person looking at me and, uh, and it was an older woman. And I, and I went up to her and I said, how you doing? She's like, are you Brock? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, I love these podcasts. And I'm sharing them with my grandsons. And just to hug her right there and be like, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that this company, that my coworker, Mike Salk, the Bonneville Media Group, is giving me this opportunity to do these podcasts, to be authentic and transparent. I think we know this. James, you and I talk about this a lot. Talk about what is authenticity and what is transparency. What does that look like in our day-to-day lives, in our world that we live in? I think people crave that. I think people crave. We have chaos in our country in many ways. Right? It's very polarizing. You know, faith is, they tell people, oh, don't talk about your faith. Keep that private. Some of my background and my upbringing with my mom that I love to death, yeah, keep it private and do all of that. But people want transparency and they want authenticity. And when it's genuine and it's real, I don't find people fighting it. I don't find people just taking swings at me. Maybe they will. Maybe these podcasts will keep growing and I'll get some pastors writing me and maybe I'll get something in my uh, in our office, right? Uh, some highlighted something I said and how does that jive with Philippians 4.13? But I hope it does because I hope it can lead to more transparency, more conversation, and more of all of us figuring this thing out together. And so there you have it. A lot of my faith journey, a lot of the stories in my life, the people in my life that have shaped and impacted where I am and very much where I'm still going. And there's yet one more, one final story to tell because I love this one. And it speaks to really why this podcast exists today. And it's with Compassion International. Plane ride to Bristol, Connecticut, going back to do TV work. And I was on a short connection to Denver and then on into Hartford, got back to my seat and I saw this hard working guy sitting there in the aisle and I had to kind of work around him and my knees are kind of pressed up against him and bless his heart, he's working on the computer. And we started to chat and I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I you know, work for a ministry. Oh, really? What ministry? And we go back and forth. 
Yeah, and he works for Compassion International. And it just so happened at that time, I was hoping to find a partner, a relationship with this podcast to make it work. Because without them, it wouldn't be here. Without their friendship, without their guidance, without their resources, without their partnership with me and my heart, this podcast wouldn't be here. And all of these stories wouldn't be here and hopefully making the impact in some of your lives or your kids' lives that they are. And we started to chat and I said, you know what my dream is, my vision is to have one sponsor for this podcast. One. And I'd love for it to be you. And I don't think it's coincidence that we're sitting by each other on this plane and that we have had Jessica as a part of our family for eight years. And I'd really love to see it happen. And over the weeks and the months ahead, that's exactly what happened. This compassion, as you can tell, I hope from these podcasts, sponsor all of it in its entirety. They have a heart for it. They have a heart for for Christ. They have a heart for their cause, their work around the world. And if you can find it in your heart, I would sure appreciate it to give back a little, to partner in this podcast with me through an organization that is changing lives every single day. Where did that relationship with Compassion International begin? Molly and I years ago had a desire to bring the outside world into our home. The living where we live in Redmond in the Pacific Northwest, knowing for our kids that their reality was not the reality for most kids around the world. How could we do that? And we can go to the Dominican Republic, which we have, an opportunity to go on some mission trips and expand our horizon, expand uh, their breadth and depth of their relationship and their faith journey. The other way to do that was to bring Compassion International into our home and through them and through their work and through relationships with them, bring a child into our home. And we've brought Jessica into our home. She is part of our family. We see her pictures. We read her letters. We write her letters back. We celebrate her birthdays. We celebrate her accomplishments. We get a picture and a window into her life and the challenges of that life in El Salvador and the differences of growing up in in her faith journey in El Salvador versus our kids growing up in the Pacific Northwest. That was a huge, huge part of why we got involved early and why we can't celebrate it and praise the work of Compassion International enough. I think one of the things that we love about Compassion is it's the total product. It's the schooling, it is the medicine, it is the education, it is the faith journey, it is providing some opportunity and structure in these kids' lives, in these families' lives to change their generation, to change their opportunity, and to have that chance for a dollar a day is what it amounts to, to really have that chance for a dollar a day to invite another family member into our home, to partner with Compassion every single day affects millions of lives around the world. We just could not say no. I'm really thankful as well for my employer in Seattle, Bonneville Media, and the opportunity that they have given me equally with Compassion to walk right alongside and to make it, I think, as easy as possible to really become part of this podcast and become part of this journey. All you got to do is go to compassion.com slash above. And when you go there, you're going to see your Jessica. You're going to see your child right there for about a dollar a day. You can go and impact for the rest of their lives, just as my mother-in-law and father-in-law have done. And the incredible messages that I have already heard in the letters back and forth just as my coworkers have done in this building that I work in and this podcast is emanating from, your chance to add to your family. 
to change a life, to change a generation, compassion.com slash above, and continue this journey with me and above and beyond.